0: Good morning. It's a thrill to have you here this morning. We're very thankful for your presence, and we're thankful for the opportunity that's ours to be here. Um, My mother will be leaving tomorrow, heading back to Atlanta, very thankful that she got to meet you and you her, very thankful for that. Uh, We will also be traveling tomorrow as well to go and attend uh, our brother Anthony's funeral, and so we request your prayers uh, to that end, Lord's will, we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, at the appropriate time. You just never know uh, about the blessings. I'm very thankful that he was able to come out and meet you as well, and you him, and uh, we cherish the time that we had together. Very thankful for that. Our topic this morning is Rahab was justified by faith. We had James chapter 2, verse 25 read, and uh, we will reference that passage, but we'll spend most of our time this morning in Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 6, where we find Rahab spoken about. Uh, By way of refresher, we're talking about the subject of faith. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say it's probably the most critical part of our lives, is the proper understanding of Bible faith and then the practice of that. Faith, whether we know it or not, is how we will live our lives now. It is ultimately how we will live our lives eternally. By way of refresher, remember the two options. Either faith means I believe God but I do nothing I have what he said simply because I believe it or faith means I believe God and then I do whatever he tells me to do and then he will give me what he promised there is an important note that we should make and that is this God has given us two things he has given us his world which is governed by his laws and he's given us his word which is governed by his laws Therefore, the truth is, every part of our lives are lived by faith. Faith is based on truth, and so it applies to every area of life. These definitions, then, would need to be there applied. The belief-only definition. It will harm your life now, actually, and it will ultimately cost you your soul, and you will be separated from our Father for eternity. If faith means all you have to do is believe and then you will have what you want, chances are good you've already tried to live out that position. And what you've come to realize is it won't work. It doesn't work in any area of life, and yet people teach you that it will. We come to the subject of money. How am I going to get it? You know what they say is just believe, just manifest it, Just think about it real hard, and if you want it bad enough, nature, the universe, will bring it to you. What about relationships? How am I going to have a successful relationship? You just believe it. You manifest it. You want it bad enough. You think about the kind of person you want to be with, and nature, the universe, will find you and your soulmate. What about your health? You just believe it. Believe you're better. What if sickness comes? Well, you don't claim it. You just renounce it and deny it. You believe you're well and you will be. Come to religion. How am I going to be saved? Just believe. You don't have to do anything. God has done it all. and He's going to give it to you. People teach that, and they believe it in every area, and sure enough, they have people logging on, following them, and they're listening to these messages, and what they have found is it has failed miserably. Now they're displeased, disappointed. Some are even depressed. They're done with God and religion. God never said faith meant belief only. God said belief was necessary, but it is action. It is works that completes that belief. Belief only doesn't work in any area of life where change is desired. Now, if you were a customer and you had bought a product based on the promises of the salesperson, and you got it home and it didn't work, what you would do is you take it back, and you would demand a refund, in that instance, you would tell the person your disapproval and displeasure, they would give you your money back, and they would apologize. But these individuals that you're listening to and following, they don't give you your money back, your time back, your energy back. No, some people have followed them and said, well, I'm not going to follow anymore. And they've written in the comments how disappointed they are. And you know what they were met with? Not an apology, not with an admission that we were wrong. They were actually met with, I can't believe you believe that. They were met with, what were you thinking? Of course, when it comes to the subject of money, you believe, yes, you manifest, yes, but then you have to get on your grind. Everybody knows that. You got to hustle and go to work. You got to make it happen. You can't just sit around and do nothing and wait for money. But that is exactly what you told me, and it didn't work. What about relationships? These same gurus, oh yeah, you got to believe, but you got to get yourself together. You got to do your own work, you, you got to work on yourself. You can't just sit around and wait for Mr. and Mrs. Right to show, but that's exactly what you told me to do. What about your health? Yes, you believe, of course you do, but you know, don't you? You can't just sit around, you got to eat, right? You gotta drink lots of water and lift weights and exercise and rest. You you can't just sit around and do, but that's what you, what about religion? Belief, yes, but you, well you can't just sit around. No, actually this is the only part of life where everybody is still okay with all you have to do is believe now it won't work for money it won't work for relationships it won't work for your health but you can go from being a child of the devil to a child of God by just believing real hard you can go from being in the world and out of Christ to in Christ and in the kingdom by belief only you can change from being lost to saved and all you have to do is believe real hard You can change from having sin to having them washed away. How? You just believe real hard. Now, it's amazing that the single most important, significant, and the only eternal part of life remains the one area of life where people are still willing to accept. I want to change. I want to transform. I want to renovate my life. I'm not going to do anything. All I'm going to do Is believe it will not work it will inevitably cost you your eternal soul Rahab was saved by faith whatever faith means it means and what we see is Rahab believed and she did something and then God saved her the account of Rahab has generated a fair amount of questions through the years It might be the case that her actions and her lie and the connection and closeness to them have led some to believe that God endorses lying or that the ends justify the means. As we read the account of Rahab and her life and her actions, it is clear that Rahab lied about her knowledge of the spies' whereabouts. But Rahab's lie is not a knock on God or an attack of the inspiration of Scripture. Actually, it's just the opposite. The record is a mark and a testament to the inspiration of the Scripture. It's because the Scriptures is honest in the reporting of the, of the events. It tells us what actually happened. It doesn't try to whitewash it and clean it up. It doesn't mince words. It tells us very plainly. It tells us the truth. It tells us about Noah and his actions after coming out of the ark. It tells us about Abraham and his lie about Sarah. It tells us about David and his actions with Bathsheba. It tells us about Peter, and it tells us about Rahab. A few thoughts about God's use of Rahab. The first thought is this, God's character cannot approve or fellowship sin. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 5, John says, this then is the record that God is light." And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light, friends. And if that is not true, well, then the scripture is not true. If that's not true, then the scripture is not inspired. And if that's not true, well, then God's not God. Let me ask you this. What are you doing here? What would be the point of worshiping a being claiming to be holy who's not? Saying he's perfect, but he's not. You can't find dishonesty and wickedness in God and then continue to worship him as God. But if God is true, and he is, and perfect, and just, and holy, and righteous, and sinless, and pure, and without error and darkness, then when you and I encounter situations in Scripture that lead me to the conclusion that somehow God is wrong, I have to investigate those conclusions. I have to investigate that material with the understanding that my, my conclusion is wrong. Because God can't remain God and be in darkness and fellowship sin. Secondly, God's choices to use people is not a blanket approval of everything that person does. You can see that through all the people that God used. In Romans chapter 9, he chose between Jacob and Esau. In Romans chapter 9, he used Pharaoh. It's not a blanket statement of everything just because God used a person. And then thirdly, God's explanation is the proper explanation if god tells us what he did and the events of that if god tells us what happened if god reports on the events then that's the truth and god reports on rahab and god tells us about her and that's the truth titus chapter 1 and verse number 2 with reference to god the bible says we live in hope of eternal life which god that cannot lie promised before the world began therefore if god said it then that's what's true Every person God used and ultimately approved of by faith, they did things that were wrong. See Hebrews chapter 11. It's interesting though that you and I could get so fixated on Rahab's lie that we lose sight of her profession. God used her in spite of that. Let's take a quick walk through the chapter and then talk about Rahab's, her her deliverance by faith. Rahab is in Joshua chapter 2. The spies enter the city, we're told. And they were found out word is then sent to Rahab to give them up Rahab hides the spies and then lies about her knowledge of their whereabouts and then Rahab makes a deal with those same spies to save her and her family the first thing we notice about Rahab is this Rahab's actions were motivated by faith in In chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10, as our outline has been and continues to be the same, there is a problem. In chapter 2 and verse 8, now, before they lay down, she came up on the roof and said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. Here is the problem. In chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it is certain defeat. Jericho will be conquered. She and her people are going to lose this battle, and Rahab knows that. I think I said very early in in this series of thoughts that the deliverance is not always from sin, but it's the same process. In this case, it's deliverance from the conquering of this, this city, her nation. But in a more broad sense, even this dynamic is also connected to sin. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 16, God is talking to Abraham and he tells him that your descendants are going to go into a strange land, and they're going to serve another nation, and they're going to stay there and serve them until the fourth generation. And God says, in the fourth generation I will bring them out. And then God adds at the end of that that the cup of the Amorites is not yet full. And so, God is often doing multiple things at the same time. And so, the Amorites is put for the nations in the land. And if you'd like to see how those nations are living, you'll want to read Leviticus 18. That's how they're living in that land. And so, what God is saying to Abraham is, your descendants are going to go into Egypt, and as they're growing into a nation, the cup of the Amorites will continue to fill. And at some point… The fullness of that cup will come, and that cup of God's wrath will at last be meted out. Well, the individuals who will meet out that judgment are the children of Israel. As they grow and become a nation, they will come out, and they're going to that land to conquer those people. What Rahab is coming to realize is that is happening, and it will happen To her nation Rahab's actions then with regards to hiding these these spies these messengers is motivated by faith notice verse number nine where she said to the men I know that the Lord has given you the land I know that she says in verse number 10 we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Faith is based on knowledge. You hear something, you know something, and she does. In fact, when, if you were to go back to the book of Exodus and start reading, there's going to be a phrase in that book that is exceedingly important, and God will say, and ye shall know. And ye shall know. It's important to take the comments of Romans 1 about the state of the Gentiles and how they gave themselves back to idolatry and ultimately ceased to know the God of heaven. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. How are they going to come to know him again? When Moses goes into Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5, Pharaoh's response to Moses is, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice. And then he says, I know not the Lord, neither will I obey his voice. It sounds like and is a rebellious, high-handed statement from an earthly king towards Jehovah, and it is, but it's also the truth. He doesn't know Jehovah, which is why that phrase becomes so important, because it's not long after that that God will begin to say, and ye shall know, And ye shall know he's going to start by the Egyptians learning who he is you will know and then Israel you're going to know Rahab has come to know the power of God the glory of God the plagues the law the Red Sea people will know in fact Rahab says we know about your God we've heard what he's done. And it's that that motivates her to make the deal. Notice verse number 12, because we've heard verse 9 or we know verse 9, we've heard verse 10, we heard in verse 11, our hearts melted and so in verse 12, now therefore, swear to me by the Lord. And since I have dealt kindly with you, you swear to me that you will deal kindly with me and my father's household, and you will give me a pledge." Why? Because we know there is a problem and there is punishment. Chapter 6 and verse 21 explains the level of destruction and punishment. Chapter 6 and verse 21 of Joshua says, "...they utterly destroyed everything in the city." Men and women, young and old and ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword, that punishment will be complete destruction. Jericho can't win. Israel can't lose. God is fighting for them. Rahab knows that. It's interesting because last time we were together, we talked about Joshua. And we're there in Joshua 6 and verse 21, but look at Joshua 6 and verse 1 and verse 2. Be reminded that at the time Rahab is saying these things inside the city, talking to the spies about her knowledge, this punishment God has said to Joshua, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given you Jericho into your hand with his kings and the valiant warriors. You remember? Remember, we talked about Joshua and going to take the city. Well, God tells Joshua, you're going to conquer it this way, and Rahab is inside the city saying, we know we're going to lose. The judgment has already been decided. This punishment is absolutely certain, and it will happen. And so, we talked about a problem. We talked about punishment, and here is the person In verses 11 through 14, it's Rahab. When all the people, chapter 2 and verses number 11 down to verse number 14, talks about the decisions and the deal is being made with her. In verse number 12, Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, you will deal kindly with me and my father's house. The point is that God can use you. Some people have listened to the world and error so long, gotten so steep in the sin, they they wake up one day and they want to make a difference. They want to change their lives, except they don't believe they can. But you don't know what I've done. doesn't matter what you've done. That's one more testament to the wonder and inspiration of Scripture. The individuals God used throughout history. They weren't all clean and pure and righteous and holy. Some of them came from terrible backgrounds and terrible situations, and yet God didn't say, Well, you aren't good enough. Anyone willing to walk by faith can be used by God. Rahab was. And you can too. You can help God carry out his plans even today. You can be useful in the service of God. Rahab was. That brings us to the plan. In chapter 2, in verse number 18, the man said to her in verse 17, we will be free from this oath to which you have made us swear, unless, unless when we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into the house, your father and your mother and your brothers and all of your household. And it shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. What's the plan? Get into your house. Get your father, your mother, your sister, get into your house and tie this scarlet thread or cord throughout the window. Some people see in this scarlet cord, they say, well, it represents blood. I don't know that. And it's not the point. The point is the plans come from God. That's the point. Doesn't matter what the plan is. The plans come from God. And so, in the case of Noah, make an ark. Doesn't matter about rain. You make an ark. In the case of Joshua, you march around the city. It doesn't matter that that's not how you take a city. doesn't matter. You march around the city. In the case of Rahab, you put a scarlet thread out the window and you get into your house. The details are provided by God and that's what make them important. But it's always God who should be trusted. This dynamic brings about a debate, and you can hear it spoken about constantly. In the Lord's Church, people talk about it all the time. The two sides of the debate sounds like this. Some people argue that the keeping of the rules, the details of which you speak, the laws, well, they're not important. It makes you wonder why God gave them then. But other people argue, well, the details and the laws and rules are so important that they began to trust them and their keeping of them and forget the God who gave them. What's the truth? The truth is the details are important and need to be kept precisely because God gave them. But the keeping of the details or the rules or the laws should never become the means of salvation to the neglect of God. Jesus actually settles the debate. In Matthew chapter 23, if you have your Bibles and be turning there, in verse number 23, in the very chapter where Jesus gives his strongest rebukes, his strongest denunciation of the behavior of the Pharisees and their heart's condition, he says in verse 23 of that chapter, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the others undone." People will sometimes say, individuals who try to follow God's pattern and teach about the pattern, they will say things like, well, you're a Pharisee. And then they will cite the Pharisee's emphasis of keeping the law and following the rules, and And they will say, well, you can't be like that because Jesus condemned that. I'm going to urge that that person misunderstands. And he misunderstands what Jesus is saying. Jesus did not condemn keeping the law. He didn't. In fact, he kept it himself. In this very chapter, would you note how this chapter opens so you can see what Jesus is condemning? In Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 1, the Lord says, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. And so here is the Lord talking to the crowds, talking to the disciples, and he says to them, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, but you'll note the next phrase, all that they bid thee, observe and do. Wait a minute, but they're the scribes and the Pharisees. Yes, they are. And sit in Moses' seat. Yes, they do, which Moses' seat comes from God. Moses' seat has authority, and so they sit in that seat. And so, if they tell you to do something, do that. But then our Lord says, but do not after their works. Why are you condemning them? But do not after their works. Why not? For they say and do not. They bind heavy burdens upon men, and they won't lift them with their fingers. Then he begins to use the word hypocrite. describe them. That's what our Lord is condemning. This very verse, chapter 23 and verse 23, what was it that the Lord was condemning about the Pharisees? He says of them, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites why are they hypocrites he says you have omitted the weightier matters of the law what are those judgment and mercy and faith and he says these ye ought to have done he is saying to them you left something out you omitted something some will say well you see that's the point He's telling you that the rules are not important. What is important? Jesus, his spirit, our hearts, that's what's important. And he spells it out. Judgment, mercy, and faith, not laws and not rules. You see, Eric, the details are not important. Let me ask a question. What else did he say? What's the rest of the verse say? These ought you have done, and not to leave the other undone. What's the other? He's already stated it. What were they doing? You pay tide of men and annas and cumin. That's what you are doing. Yes, and you've omitted something, judgment and mercy and faith. These are you to have done. Got it. I should have had judgment and mercy and faith, but not to leave the other undone. He's not saying omit one for the other. That's not what he's saying at all. The other is to pay, tithe of mint and anise and cumin. And what's he saying? Don't you leave that undone. Why not? Because God said it. If God said pay and tithe even the smallest amount of herbs and spices, then you pay that. Don't leave that undone. What's the harmony? God wants the heart of judgment and mercy and faith as we follow his laws and judgments and rules, whatever they be, in this case, even paying tithe of mint and anise and cumin. You know what the scripture has a way of describing both of these things? It describes it as spirit and truth. In John 4, verses 23 and 24, Jesus tells the woman who he meets at the well that God is looking for people who manage both. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, if you read the phrase true worshipers and Jesus is saying it, you understand there are false worshipers. The very woman he's talking to, he says to her just a verse or two earlier, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Joshua would say to Israel in Joshua 24, 14, he would choose the phrase sincerity and truth. The fact is, you are insincere if you omit either of these. You are insincere if you emphasize law devoid of spirit, then you're insincere. But you're also insincere if you emphasize spirit devoid of truth the problem is that people don't think the rules are important and for people who don't think the rules are important and the details and the pattern is significant and important for those who don't think that here's what happens they believe that their emphasis on the spirit allows them to still be sincere regardless of what they do with truth and it's not possible. Your heart can't be sincere if you set aside, alter, or change, or reject God's word. Now, you can be sincerely ignorant, you can. But sincerity in ignorance won't allow you to obey the truth. Noah couldn't have been and couldn't have convinced God he was sincere if God says, make an ark of gopher wood, and Noah says, I believe you, but I'm not making the ark. Joshua wouldn't be called sincere and faithful if he says to God, I believe you. I want to emphasize my spirit. I want my spirit to be in harmony with your spirit, but I'm not marching around the walls. Rahab cannot reject God's plan and remain sincere in following God and friends. Neither can you or I. I tell you all of this because ultimately when it comes to the subject of salvation, people may agree that we have a problem. They might. They might also agree that there is a person to save. But when it comes to the plan, that's where we often fall down. And people have no problem saying, well, the plan's not that important. The plan's not that significant. Don't get bogged down into details like that. Sure, a scarlet line, no, a scarlet line's important. Those details are important. In fact, we know they're important by what these individuals did and God's subsequent approval. Noah followed the plan and he built the ark. Genesis six twenty two says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Hebrews 11 and 7 says, By faith Noah, that's approved of. That's a faith that God endorses and approves. And what did that faith do? By faith Noah being warned of God and not things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Joshua marches around the city. Rahab puts the scarlet line out. If we attempt to do only one of these things, we will not find our relationship with God acceptable. And it is entirely possible for you or I to be on either side of this. We can be sincere and not live according to truth. Saul of Tarsus was just such an individual. In Acts chapter 23 and verse number one, Saul says to the council, Men and brethren, I have lived before God in all good conscience unto this day. If you're reading Acts chapter 23, you're going to meet Saul possibly in Acts 6, but certainly in Acts 7, the end of it, and into Acts chapter 8. And what you'll be told about him is he's murdering Christians. And all the way over in Acts chapter 23, he says, I've been having a clear conscience up to this day. What does he mean? He means I've been sincere. I have been sincerely doing what I believed I should do, and I did it. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 9, he relates again before Agrippa and others. He says, I thought within myself that I should do many things harmful, contrary to the name of Jesus Nazareth. In verse number 10, he says, which things I did. Here is a man who is sincere. Nobody could doubt the sincerity of Saul of Tarsus, and yet he had sincerity without truth. But you could do just the opposite. In Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 down to about verse number 15, you will read God's disapproval and displeasure with his people. And he will talk to them about offering sacrifices. And he will say to them, who told you to do this? You're treading my courts. But the fact is, God told them to do it. However, they were not sincere. They had the truth, but they were not sincere. And God rejected them and called them sinners. If you do either of these, you will not find a relationship with God that's acceptable to him. The only way to be approved of by God is to serve God in sincerity and in truth. I tell you all of that because it is the details of the plan that is so frequently talked against when it comes to the subject of salvation. And it's the very plan that would have saved somebody and doesn't allow them to be saved because somebody tells them, well, eh, the plan's just not that important. That plan will bring you to a place. Verses 18 and verse number 19 of Joshua chapter 2, that place is Rahab's house. Rahab's house, and in fact, no one else's house. There is only one house in Rahab. Sometimes when you talk to people today and you get to talking about the church and you get to using the number one, sometimes people take great offense, and what they fail to understand is it's not uncommon in the Bible for God to place salvation in one place. It's not uncommon at all. How many arks were there? There was one ark. With eight souls, 2 Peter 2. How many houses in Jericho? There's only one house. You need to be in Rahab's house, and that house is the only place where salvation is, which is why when you get to the New Testament, it's talked about almost casually. It's not a surprise. It's not any huffing. and. It's just said, stated very plainly. Jesus said, I will build my church. Ephesians 1, 22, 23, Christ is the head over the church which is His body, 1, 1, 1. Ephesians 4, 4, there's one body. Ephesians 5, 23 to 25, He is the Savior of the body. That body, that house is also called a house, that church, in 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 15. In fact, the prophets prophesied, Isaiah 2, 2 to 4, that he is going to come and build God's house. In Isaiah, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, Paul says to Timothy, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. The church is the house. It's not uncommon. And you see it here. Get into the house. If you're in Rahab's day, there's only one house to be in. There's salvation in no other. The problem is present for Rahab. The punishment is certain. And when the person obeys the plan, they are put into the place and then God pardons That's exactly what happens here in Joshua chapter six. You see, Joshua and his army did march around the walls, the priests did blow, and the people did shout. And when they did that, the walls did fall. What happens next is recorded in Joshua chapter six, beginning in verse number 20. All the people shouted, the trumpets were blown, and in verse 21, they utterly destroyed everything. This is the part right here that is difficult. If, if people could agree with everything else, this is the challenging part because God has delayed his coming because nothing seems much to change from day to day. It begins to sound like idle threats and idle words. And of course, you're talking about judgment. Yeah, it's way off in the distance. In and Let me tell you something, friends. The flood did come. Imagine being outside of that ark. When it started but it did come but the Lord delayed the Lord delayed the Lord but it it, it did come the sea went back the Egyptians tried to go through and follow and then the sea did go back you see God told Joshua march around the walls the walls did fall can you imagine it when I say imagine it I'm not saying make up stuff No, I'm saying think about the stuff. If you were in Jericho a short while ago, your walls protected your city. If you were inside, you looked maybe outside and saw, yeah, there's some people walking around our city, that's odd, and maybe you thought nothing of it because surely That won't knock down our walls. Maybe you gave it no more thought than that. Maybe you thought your house was as safe as every other house. Can you imagine what happened when the people shouted, the trumps were blown, and the walls? What would you do now? The army is inside the city now. The Bible uses words like utterly destroyed. Maybe you're seeing some of it. Maybe you're running trying to get to your house. Maybe you escape for just a minute. But eventually. There's a sermon we'll preach at some point. The title of it is The Saddest Scene Ever Seen. And the things that gospel preachers know is, at some point, the Lord is going to come or you're going to go there. But in either instance, you're going to be beyond the point of help. And the thing that gospel preachers know is, it's what makes giving you the plan. Making sure we teach it right, so important because God's not going to save anyway, but his way. But it's also what's so lamentable about people who tell you to do it another way. Because they won't be there for you when you enter eternity. They won't fix it for you when you get to the shores of eternity. It's too late if you're in Jericho and you are in any other house than Rahab's house it's too late the only one saved verse 25 however Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had Joshua spared she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out the land." When the New Testament writers talk about Rahab, and they will, they will hold her up as a model of faith for what she did. Hebrews 11:30 30 and 31, the writer will connect Joshua and Rahab. He will say of Joshua, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace James will say likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way faith it moved Noah to build the ark it moved Joshua to march around the city. It moved Rahab to get into her house, put a scarlet light in her window, and get everybody in her family into that house. Belief alone would not have worked in any of those instances. And belief alone, where change is desired, will not work in saving your soul. The question this morning is, will you be moved by faith to obey God's plan? To believe and be baptized, that's what Jesus said. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. I won't bore you with the long argument of somebody saying, well, it doesn't say if you don't be baptized, you won't be saved. The long and the short of it is if you don't believe, you won't do what God says. That's the point. He that believes and build the ark, I don't believe. Well, I'm not going to build the ark. There's really no point talking to you about building the ark, then is it? Sin is the problem. Friends, it's your problem. Eternal damnation is the punishment. Jesus is the person. The gospel is the plan. And Christ's body is the place. And if you obey the gospel and get into that place, then Jesus will pardon you. Friends, if you've never done that, our prayer is that you will. Before the Lord comes or you go to the Lord. That said, let me make a quick plea to Christians. We're talking about faith that moves us to obey and become Christians. That's what we're talking about, and that's what this series of thoughts is about. But there is something else that we're not talking about that I would just like to share with you very quickly so that you can take it with you. The faith that moves a person to obey the gospel is the same faith that sustains a person in their walk after obeying the gospel. And what happens sometimes is we emphasize so much the need for the lost to be saved by faith that we lose sight of the fact that those who are Christians can stop walking by faith. And the reality is, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That doesn't just mean to become a Christian. That means to live as a Christian. In fact, it's written to Christians— If God touches a subject, then we need to learn his word and trust his word and walk by faith and obeying his word. And it doesn't matter what the subject is, Christian friend. If God talks about marriage, and if you want to make yours better or have a happy one, please don't go read 500 other books. Read the Bible and do what God said, trusting him. If you want to be a better parent, I'm not suggesting to you that there is no useful information in any book written by man. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is some people, and by the way, just very quickly, if there is useful information in a book written by man about life, then he got it from God, and he's agreeing with God. No human being has come up with something that God looked at and said, you know, I didn't know that. No human being has originated the thought of usefulness, and he taught God something. If it's the truth, and it's useful for life, it's going to be in harmony with Scripture. Peter said, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. No human being is going to improve on that. But what's happening is people read everybody else but God, and they don't trust Him. And they don't know what He said. I want to be the better parent. Okay, who are you reading? I'm reading Spock. I'm reading spork, I'm reading spoon, I'm reading everybody other, have you read the Bible on that subject? No, I don't agree with God, I'm not spanking my children. Well, sorry for you and your children then. God's not wrong, he's never been wrong. Nobody is saying abuse your children. Nobody is saying that and God's not saying that. But if God said spank them when they deserve it and need it, then you should be trusting God and giving them some. You should be applying the Board of Education to their seat of learning. (laughs) When it comes to the subject of money, it's the same thing. How to get it, the Bible talks about it. How to keep it, how to use it, how to give it and be benevolent. The Bible talks about that comes to character I didn't watch the whole commercial but there was just a commercial on and it said I hope I'm getting this right because I didn't really finish all the commercial but it said the most the most searched phrase in 2022 was something akin to can I change how can I change dare I say it you want to change you want to be a better person you should consult God for that You should go into Galatians 5 and develop the fruit of the Spirit. You should read 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8 and add to your faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and the knowledge temperance, the temperance patience, brotherly kindness. What mindset should I have? You should let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I said to myself before I came in here this morning, do y'all talk to y'all selves? Because I do. Oops, I guess I shouldn't have told y'all. I'm the only one talking to myself. What I said to myself is, you know what? Going forward, I am not going to mention time. not going to bother with it. I'm just going to see I'm done. So, I'm almost done. Hebrews chapter 3. This is me, not mentioning time. I do want to show you this last passage and I'll be done. I can't emphasize this enough. It's not our series and I appreciate that. But if you're a Christian, you got to live by faith. These verses are written to Christians. Verse number, verse number seven. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the provocation. When they provoked me as in the day in the trial of wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me. Saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with this this generation. I said, they go astray always in their heart. They will not. They do not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath they will not enter my rest. I want you to read verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. If you'll read the rest of chapter 3 and read into chapter 4, the Hebrews writer will say, that's why they didn't make it into the promised land. He will pivot very quickly and say, and that's why we won't make it into heaven. We're talking about faith. It's not just to become a Christian. It's to walk by faith our whole lives on into eternity. If you're not a Christian this morning, become one. We simply implore you to search the scriptures, to see if these things are so. And if they are, and submit to Jesus Christ in obedience to the gospel. Believe that he's the Son of God. Change your heart and your mind and repent. Confess the name of Christ and be buried with him in baptism, Romans 6, 3 through 5, and then rise and walk in newness of life. Never done that. We beg you to. Christian friends, as you enjoy your holiday season, would you examine your faith? Do I believe God? Do I trust God? And am I willing to do what he says by faith if we can help you in any way we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing